welcome to Cats Out of the Basket, the podcast. My name's Huzzy, and it's good to have you back here today. Today with me, I've got a, a special guest. Uh, it's special to me because this is the first guest that I've met through actually doing this project, and her name is Ursula. How are you, Ursula? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. good. <laughs> so, as I said, um, we met because of the podcast yeah. so can you can you tell the listeners how you found out about this um well someone i can't remember who it was posted in the facebook group for the women's collective at macquarie uni um just saying you know my friend's doing this thing and it'd be really cool if anyone with experience with mental health you know could participate and i was like yeah sure why not sounds good i feel really strongly about being vocal you know yep yeah. Yeah. That's, so that's great. She put me on to you and yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that was Barney. So Yes, that's right. Yeah. Well done, Barney. Yeah. So Barney is someone who is very involved in the uni and mm. we have connections through her. So thank you to her again. Thank you, Barney. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so I guess this takes us to the um, random question box, the Yay. mysterious golden Chinese question box. You all know how it works now, so we've got a few random questions in do there. Do I pick the question? Yeah, you sure <gasps> do. So let's see what you get. I know everyone said this, but it's a really nice box. Thank you, but you can't have it either. <laughs> everyone wants it. What do you got? What is the best thing you can cook? Oh, I love cooking. It's one of the things I do to procrastinate. Um, I have a really good recipe for brownies that my friend, one of my best friends from high school gave me and they're just the fudgiest, squishiest, worst for you brownies ever and I love them. So How many, how many cups of sugar in there? I think it's like two cups of sugar. That's a lot it's of sugar. It's a lot of sugar. That's good. <laughs> Plus like a whole block of dark cooking chocolate and lots of chocolate chips. So they're really bad for you. That's probably you know, four cups of sugar. Yeah. 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 yeah, wow. I don't make them very often. Oh, for good reason. <laughs> yeah. Gotta got to watch yourself a bit there, everyone. Okay. Well, do you want to pick another one? See, okay. what else, see what else we got. Put Give it a bit back. of a shuffle. Okay. All right, here we go. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? That's a good one. Oh, that's tough. It is tough. I feel like I've gotten so much good advice from so many different people. I think most recently something my cousin said to me, um, I was talking with him about a stressful situation that I've been going through mm. and he just said, you know, it's hard now, but you'll settle into your new normal. And that was that was really, really helpful because I just thought, you know, every everything that's ever gone wrong or that I've ever had trouble dealing with, you know, I've gotten through and I've settled into the new normal. So he was yeah. right. <laughs> hmm. That's a really chill way of putting it. Yeah. I like that. Good advice. Good advice. All right. So I guess, you know, I want to get to the nitty gritty of all this. So just to, to bring us to that, what made you want to open up on the podcast? You already briefly mentioned yeah. it, but tell us a bit more about that. I just think it's really important to be vocal about it and some people are really uncomfortable talking about it, mm. um, which is totally fair enough. Um, I'm not uncomfortable talking about it and I think the more people 
who do open up and do talk about their experiences, the more that those people who do feel uncomfortable talking about it don't feel so alone. And even people who do feel comfortable talking about it don't feel so alone. You Mm. know, I kind of, I kind of wish I'd had someone to tell me that the first time I really spiraled, just be like, it's okay. This is normal. Other people have done it. Mm. You're not alone. Yeah. So that's, that's really great of you. And and (laughs) it's brave of you as well to to be able to open up and, and for a good cause too. All right. So how did you notice there was something not quite right and what sort of signs (laughs) did you see? Um, I think I was quite a nervous child. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like there are a lot of things that I just sort of worried about needlessly or I got upset about that, you know, maybe other kids didn't. Um, I remember waiting up for my parents to get back if either of them ever went you know, out to dinner with friends or something. Mm. And once, you know, once I was old enough to have a phone, I'd text them like, are you okay? Are you coming home? When are you coming home? You know, um, I'm sure that was really annoying for them. <laughs> Sorry, mm. mom. Sorry, dad. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just think a sort of general feeling of like unease with the world, but it's not like it was a constant thing. Yeah. Just little sort of stuff like that. Yeah. Hmm. How old were you when, when you started having these feelings? Oh God. <laughs> I think quite young. I remember having a really visceral sort of experience when I was about four or five and like sort of contemplating death for the first time, hmm. just like lying in bed thinking, Oh my God, I'm not going to be here one day. Like, ah. and I sort of shut that away. Hmm. Um, so it's sort of like, yeah, probably quite young and then just little moments until it sort of read its head in a more sort of chronic way in teenagehood, I think. Mm, okay. Well, it's really interesting to hear that as a child you were already thinking about death. Was there something <laughs> that sort of triggered that, a death in the family or uh, something? I really, I really can't remember. Um, I'm very lucky all of my grandparents are still alive. I've yeah. never had anyone in my family close to me die it's been um yeah I'm not sure why I was thinking about it I just was I Mm. I had been to my great-grandmother's funeral but that was several years earlier so I don't know I think maybe it was just brought to my attention to a tv show or a movie or Mm. something I can't remember remember. (laughs) I didn't think about it after that I was like nope we're not not dealing with that (laughs) Mm. okay so what uh, exact diagnosis did you end up receiving? Um, so that's actually a really tricky one for me because when I first went to my GP about how I was feeling sort of um, egged on by my mum, I guess she was like, look, you know, we got to, you're not okay. we got to do something about this. No one really said to me like, you're depressed or you're anxious or, you mm. know, um, they were like, oh, we'll prescribe you this antidepressant. And, um, it never really, it never really clicked that that was a diagnosis receiving a prescription for that treatment. Um, it was only really recently actually, like literally within the last couple of months that I've been at a doctor's office and actually see them tick boxes on a form saying, yes, generalized anxiety. Yes. Major depression. Mm. Like it was never a clear cut thing for me. And I think that's one of the things about anxiety and depression 
compared to some other mental illnesses that um, people can really struggle with because it's something that a lot of people go through. It's something that, you know, someone who's not chronically mentally ill will probably experience once or twice in their own lifetime. Yeah. So it's like the difference between getting a cold and getting a chronic illness, basically. Mm. So I think sometimes when you first present, you go there, they think, oh, maybe this is just a stressful period in your life. You know, you'll get over it. And then, of course, it comes back again and again and again. So, yeah, mm. diagnosis was not clear cut for me. A bit iffy. Yeah. Mm. But okay. I definitely received treatment for both anxiety and depression from probably from about 16 or 17 years old, yeah. Okay, so when you were 16 was when you first went to the GP? Yeah, um, I was really, I was quite sick, like physically. I'd had something akin to glandular fever. I was tired all the time and then it sort of didn't go away and I didn't have any motivation to do my schoolwork. Mm. Um, it sort of didn't really matter to me. That was sort of my real first like brush with depression. Yeah. Um, and my mum was like, you know, like this isn't, this isn't you. We should go to the doctor about this. You know, um, I sort of didn't really, didn't really feel like anything to me at the time because it was like, oh, I just don't care. Like just moody teenageness, you know. Mm. Um, and then it wasn't until year 12 that I really actually struggled with anxiety in any sort of way that really significantly impacted my life. It was getting up to the end of year 12 and, um, it suddenly hit me that school was going to be over and I had to, you know, start thinking about life beyond this and I didn't have any expectations and I wasn't prepared. And mm. I just basically went into this state where I felt like I was having a panic attack for like a week, <laughs> um, which I know isn't really possible, but that's what it felt like. Mm. Um, and that was really, really different because I cared way too much about everything. Like I literally felt like I was going to die when school ended because I had no idea what to expect. Like mm. it was really, really scary. Mm. Well, there's there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things I want to point out is that um, you wouldn't have heard this yet, but in the previous episode with Panya, he spoke about that uh, – his parents sort of created a bit of a barrier due to not understanding what was going on, but it was the opposite for you. Your mom sort of recognized this isn't normal. Uh, she's not normally like this and yeah. then sort of stepped forward and, and did something about it. I'm really lucky. My family's been very, my family's been a real sort of foundation of support mm. for me. Um, you know, from things as practical as helping financially when I can't afford to my psychologist appointment to, you know, telling me right back at the beginning, like, you know, something's up, mm. we need some help, you know, we're going to look after you. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, really lucky because I know there's not a lot of people or certainly not as many as there should be who mm. are in that position. Absolutely. Yeah. You're very lucky. Yeah. <laughs> so when you say that you had a panic attack for a week, how did you, how do you define that? Like what sort of symptoms did oh, you have? Oh God, it was the worst. It was like, it's basically like being in fight or flight mode mm. nonstop. Like I was, I was like shaking. I, my heart was pounding. I wasn't hungry. I felt nauseous a lot of the time. I felt like I wasn't really there. So yeah. it was like derealization type thing. Um, 
and just scared about everything. Literally every single thing I did Mm. reminded me of something that I was scared of, whether that was finishing school or (laughs) dying. I was really scared of dying at that point because I had that bizarre, irrational connection between finishing school and death because it was like, oh, this is ending. Everything ends. Mm. So, yeah, I guess death is being... (laughs) That's a bit interesting. Um, it's, yeah, it was just feeling on edge all the time and I couldn't concentrate in class. I couldn't connect with my family or my friends or like anything. I just, I had to put all my energy into suppressing this mm. incredible urge to just run, <laughs> get out of there. But it was like, what am I running from? I don't know what I'm doing. Like it just, I felt trapped basically, but yeah. I didn't know why. There was nothing to feel trapped by. So I was like, this is stupid. Yeah. I guess um, what I take from it is that it it was like a transitional period, you know, going from school to post-school life. And, and there is a lot of uncertainty. With yeah, that. for sure. I mean, I don't like, I don't think it was irrational in the sense that like I definitely knew where it was coming from, but it was irrational, like the degree to which I was jumping to, yeah. <laughs> you know thinking about my own mortality and sort of the meaning of life and existentialism and stuff like that. Um, Mm. It was definitely, yeah, I think, and it's happened at a couple other points in my life since then when something quite pivotal has happened and I just haven't been able to deal with it. Mm. And it's really annoying because it doesn't feel like there's any reason why it doesn't feel like it should be like that. I feel like I should be able to deal with it. And I just can't. And yeah, not feeling like there's a reason for it is probably one of the hardest things, I think. Okay. Mm. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> it's not easy. No. Well, when you eventually received a, a definite diagnosis, which you said a couple of months ago, was it? Oh, even then, sort of. Once I, once I sort of, when I realized that actually, yes, this is what I'm dealing with was probably like a couple of years ago. Yeah. Okay. So what... What did knowing that and having that diagnosis definite, um, what did that do for you? It was good and bad. Like it was good because I was like, oh, you know, there is a reason, Mm. you know, it's not just me being stupid and irrational and, Mm. you know, hypersensitive about stuff, but it was bad because I was like, well, if this is an illness, you know, where did it come from? Like, it's not, not fair sort of thing. I mean, it's Mm. like, if you get, you know, like if you get cancer, it's like, well, what did I do to deserve this? It's like, yeah, there's no reason that just happened. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty much luck of the drawing. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, so what was harder for you after you received the diagnosis? Um, I think knowing that I had to put a lot of effort into getting better Mm. Like it wasn't something that was just going to go away. Um, You know, especially if you're depressed, you just have no motivation to do anything. You have no motivation to take care of yourself or put any effort into, you know, self-care or or creating new thought patterns that'll Mm. be beneficial for you. Um, Yeah, that was probably the hardest thing, just realizing that actually this is going to be a lot of work if I want to get better and I really wanted to get better. Yeah, it is. It is tough. And um Panya in the last episode sort of mentioned it in a way that um, he said 50% of 
of getting better is you know the resources that are available to you and 50 percent is you putting in the, yeah, the hard yards absolutely and like i said before i was very lucky because i had those resources um you know i had the support network so then it was like well i have all this stuff now it's me you know mm. <laughs> now mm. you gotta do it yeah totally um so how was how was it going through through that process for you? Um, well, look, it's happened to, like there are sort of three major times that I can pinpoint. The first one was that finishing school. Mm. Second one was in my second year of uni and the third one was earlier this year. And like I said, they've all happened around quite a pivotal event in my life. Okay. Um, so I guess dealing with them is really linked to coming to terms with the change in my circumstances and being able to see that, you know, it is new and it is scary and change freaks me out, Mm. (laughs) but I've dealt with it every time, you know, and it's been fine and good things have come from it and I'm not the same person I was five years ago and that's okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So like with, with the first one finishing school, because it was the first one, first time that I really experienced that like just awful, like bottomless pit feeling of Mm. anxiety and depression. Um, I didn't know how to deal with it and it was the first sort of really big major change in my life. So it took quite a long time. Um, and especially because there's that really long gap between finishing school and starting uni in Mm. New South Wales. Mm. Um, it was just, yeah, a lot of planning and sort of looking at my future and what's going to stay the same, what's going to change, how do I plan for it, stuff like that. Mm. Um, I moved to Sydney for uni, so I grew up in Newcastle with my family um, and my mum got a job in Sydney, which was actually ended up being really helpful because we moved in together mm. and I sort of had this really smooth transitional period where she was sort of half my mom, half my roommate. Yeah. Um, so it was sort of semi-independence and I think that was really helpful. So it was like the stability through the change, which was, yeah, fortuitous. <laughs> mm. So uh, what I'm sensing from you is that, um, you know, you're, you're not, you weren't good with change basically and no. um, <laughs> you, you just had to try and find what was remaining constant and focus on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think... I think change is something that no one is comfortable with. But if you're an anxious person, not knowing what to expect is from, you know, when you're facing a change is really, really distressing Um, because you don't, you know, anxious people want to plan and they want to prepare and they want to, you know, put everything in place so that there's the least uncertainty possible. And if you're facing a change where you can't do that, then you know, it's <laughs> what are you supposed to do? Yeah. So I yeah, guess. finding the things that you can control that you do, the choices you can make is yeah, has always been the most helpful thing for me. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Cause you know, realistically you can't control everything. You know, there's a world, the world yeah, doesn't exactly. revolve around us and it's about, you know, trying to find that, that way to, to comfort yourself. Exactly. Yeah. That. Mm. So I want to get your opinion on how anxiety and depression are 
perceived by people in society. <laughs> what, do you, what do you reckon about that? Um, I definitely think that compared to some other mental illnesses, there's less stigma mm. in certain ways, but um, it's still there's still so much stigma around mental illness in general and the fact that anxiety and depression are experienced by a lot of people. I think it's like 20% of people, you know, at some point in their life, um, you know, it's still not enough. There's still enough resources in place for people to deal with it, even if it's just a one-off. Um, and I definitely have encountered people in my life who've sort of not really understood, like, you know, why does she feel like this? Why doesn't she just get up and get on with life and stuff? Mm. Um, even though it's so common, you know, even though everyone feels like that in some degree at some point, um, there's still not a lot of understanding. It's like, just buck up, get on with life and you just can't. And it's so, so hard to explain to people Mm. why that is, you know? Mm. Well, do you find any common ground with the people that don't really understand it? Um, I mean, I have to say that, like, for me in in the circles that I run in and the people that I know, the over, the response has been generally quite positive, mm. which, again, I'm really lucky. Um, it's, it's more this feeling of, like, the rest of the world has this perception and I'm scared to talk to people just in case they react that way, you know, um... I've totally forgotten your question. Sorry. <laughs> uh, just if there was any common ground with the people that, that maybe weren't so positive towards it. Yeah. I mean, I think, like I said, everyone experiences it at some point Yeah. through stressful events in their life. So you can sometimes draw out a bit of empathy, a bit of sympathy through that. It's like saying, you know, do you remember how you felt when, you know, X, Y, Z stressful event, happened in your life Mm. was like that but there was no stressful event and i don't know why and i can't deal with it Mm. yeah well i guess um i guess what i was getting at was sort of that uh you know i'm finding that generational uh, awareness Uh, is a thing it seems to be a thing like you know nowadays people you know young people have more awareness about that and you know maybe people in the mid midlife sort of range they you know they they didn't have that education about mental illness as much and maybe they have trouble understanding yeah um again i've been really lucky i'm probably not a very good example of this um it's mostly feeling like knowing that that is the perception particularly amongst older generations and then being scared to approach people particularly if it's like lecturers or tutors who you need help from because you're really struggling and you know they need to know because you know you're handing in an assignment late or you're really struggling with the content like you have to tell them but it makes you really really scared to actually approach them and feel like you're going to get help from them um but yeah like i said Mostly um, the biology department where, because I'm studying biology, um, has been overwhelmingly supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, and even even my grandparents, <laughs> you know, they don't really get it, but mm. I don't, well, I don't know, actually. 
so I, I've never really talked about them it with them in depth, yeah. which I guess is again, one of those generational differences. Like it's not something I would talk about with them, mm. but they sort of hear from my parents that maybe I'm not doing so well. And, you know, sometimes my nan will send me a text like, Oh, thinking of you, you know, and that's really, really nice. So mm. yeah. Um, it's not something I've experienced with the people I met personally, but it's definitely sort of this societal perception that I still interact with despite not having any one person in my life that I can think of responding that way. Mm. Yeah. But it, it is still out there. Yeah. Unfortunately. So, you know, even if you're not dealing with it on a personal level, the stigma still exists, mm. um, which, you know, can be, can be really hard because you're like, well, my experience says one thing, but everyone else says this other thing and I'm still scared. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it can be really hard to sort of reconcile both of those mm. things. Absolutely. But I think, um, there's definitely like a general sort of education mm. happening at the moment. Oh yeah, for it's sure. like a mini revolution. For it? sure. Even since I started my degree, um, so I'm in my fourth year now of a three year degree. Yeah. <laughs> um, in my second year, I, I had to approach one of my lecturers and ask for help. And I didn't know the process very well um, of how I was supposed to do that through the uni. Um, and it basically, it all went really badly and there wasn't a lot of communication or support. Um, that was the second time <laughs> that I really fell into that pretty bad place. Um, and then I dealt with the same lecturer again this year mm. and he was just overwhelmingly supportive and easy to work with. So, you know, I don't know if maybe they've done some training or whether the general perceptions changed. Like I, like I've seen it already in mm. the last couple of years. Mm. So it's really good. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, so what sort of treatment did you receive? So did you have medication and therapy or? Yeah. So, um, it's been a combination of SSRIs, mm. the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, um, and like talk therapy basically. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I first, I first started seeing a psychologist when I was in year 11 or at the end of year 11. Um, and I continued seeing her throughout year 12 because it was really stressful. Mm. Um, and then, uh, I actually, I started taking medication briefly in year 10. I didn't feel like it helped. And once I was a bit better, I sort of went off it. Um, and then about halfway through, um, year 12 while I was still seeing that first psychologist and I was starting to get really antsy about the end of school. Mm. She was like, maybe you should, maybe you should consider going on medication. And I've, I've been on and off it since then, but, um, yeah, always better on. <laughs> mm. Okay. So yeah, I like, I know people can get really like, Ooh, medication that changes your brain, you know, and it's not, <laughs> really annoying because it can you know for some people it has a really strong effect for me it doesn't mm. um it's sort of it just boosts that baseline so that it's harder for you to go over the edge it's harder for you to have a really bad day it doesn't mean it doesn't happen mm. but there are less bad days and when there are i can recover from them quicker so mm. you know and get on with the stuff that i actually want to do so anyone who's like oh medication is bad it's like Ugh. 
I guess it's that's, really annoying. that's a good explanation for the listeners as to how it all works. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't quite understand it. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting neurochemistry, which I don't completely understand. <laughs> you know, um, even I mean, even doctors don't understand it. It's it's a it's a long term like it's a sustained acting medication. It takes like six to eight weeks to reach therapeutic levels. Mm. So I'm I'm taking um, fluoxetine, which is Prozac. Um, and yeah, it take it actually takes quite a while to, it, you'll start seeing improvements before that, but it takes a while to get to like that full level yeah. in your, in your brain. Mm. Um, and I had a doctor tell me once, oh, you can just take one, like basically pop a pill whenever you're stressed. And at the time I believed him. I was like, oh, that's new information. That's not what I've been told before. Mm. And now looking back on it, I'm like, he had no idea. I actually knew more about it than he did. And he didn't help at all, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's, it, they're not Tic Tacs. You can't, no, just, exactly. you can't just pop them in if you've got bad breath. Exactly. Jeez. Anyway, well. <laughs> okay, well. I guess I want to ask a semi-serious question. Have you ever experienced suicidal thoughts before? I think this one's really interesting for people who have both anxiety and depression, Mm. um, which is a lot of people. But um, for me, I've never really had the feeling that I wanted to die or that the world would be a better place without me. Mm. But... I've had this very strong feeling of this feeling is overwhelming and I can't deal with it and I just want it to end. And if I can't get better, then I just want it to stop. <laughs> so um, I've never I've never thought about it in any serious capacity. Yeah. But I think I think the interaction of anxiety with with depression for suicidal ideation in particular can be really hard to wrap your head around for people who have both. Like I've definitely talked about it with, with some friends of mine who've experienced both anxious and depressed symptoms. And it's like, (laughs) there was a really good post on the internet. I saw it was having anxiety and depression is wanting to die, but being scared that you will. Mm. And it just sums it up completely for me because it's like, you know, people care about you and you're scared of letting them down. Yeah. So you know, if you drop off the face of the planet, either literally or figuratively, like you're letting them down yeah. and there are people who care about you and you have a responsibility to them. And also just being anxious. And like I mentioned before, I've obviously had a lot of feelings of being scared of death mm. myself, which was really confusing at the time because I was like, I just want this feeling to stop. How do I make this feeling stop? Oh God, you know, I can't die. That's what I'm scared of. <laughs> like, yeah. um, yeah, so that one, <laughs> that's always been a very complicated question for me. Um, mm. And I also just want to say, like, that's my experience. Mm. Um, it's not the case for everyone. It's not the case for everyone. I, like, I know people who have anxiety and depression who experience suicidal thoughts quite strongly. So, um, yeah, that's just my experience. With them. Well, I guess it's a kind of a good thing that, you're scared of death because it sort of <laughs> hinders the suicidal thoughts from becoming too overwhelming. It does, yeah. Um, that's definitely one of the benefits of having both. Um, it does motivate you to live, yeah. you know. Um, and I think I read a really good quote and I can't remember who said it back when I was that very first time because in subsequent 
sort of spirals down, I haven't been nearly as afraid of death. It's just sort of like it's it's popped up, but it's like, uh, you know, uh, that's just a thing. It's going to happen one day. But that first time I was really, really like overwhelmingly terrified by it. Um, and I read a quote that said, if those who are scared of death are scared to live. And I just thought that was so true because I was so scared of moving into this next stage of my life. Mm. And yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't actually about death at all. It was about everything that was going to come in between. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting take on on that situation. I guess I, I sort of wanted to take it back to your school days and sort of wanted to ask you if you think that um, there's a lot of pressure in school and did that sort of drive the way you felt about things? Definitely. Um, I went to a selective high school, the only one in Newcastle, um, Mm. or the only academically selective one in Newcastle. Um, Sorry, performing outside. (laughs) Um, And there was... There was so much pressure. Um, I don't think it was actually as bad as some of the selective schools in Sydney because I'm I'm a high school tutor now. Mm. Um, I think the pressure's either greater in Sydney or has just increased since I was at high school. Um, but, yeah, going to a selective school and having that pressure was, I think, at the time I didn't really necessarily think it was having a huge impact, but looking back on it, it was just a background stress that was a bit higher for me. And they never talked about going to anywhere but uni, you know, it was Mm. never like, these are the options for your future. It was like uni or bust basically. (laughs) Um, and yeah, that was, that was quite scary. And I I wasn't ready to finish school because I didn't feel prepared for the real world, you know? Mm. Um, I didn't, I didn't really want to go to uni <laughs> yet. Um, like I wanted to go, but I just, I, I didn't feel like I was finished with high school. I felt like I needed more time to sort of grow socially. Um, I was pretty sick of the content. I was really sick of the content. I was ready to go to uni for the content, but mm. yeah, I wasn't ready socially. And I don't know whether that was a product of going to a selective school or whether it's just the way that the HSC curriculum is taught, I don't think there are enough life skills. It's so get your ATAR, go to uni, be successful, blah, blah, blah. You know, like there's no, there's no, oh, this is how you do your taxes or like this is how you look for a house, you know, Mm. especially for people who are moving at the start of uni. Um, Yeah, I didn't yeah I guess there was a lack of support in terms of becoming an adult who can function (laughs) in today's society basically yeah 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 so I do think that in school there's quite a lot of it it's just a huge academic focus Mm. and, and that becomes very overwhelming for a lot of students in school oh yeah for sure and I think one of the things again, going to a selective school, um, there are a lot of anxious personalities, a lot of perfectionists. Mm. Um, You know, for people who maybe aren't so anxious, 
not doing so well isn't such a big deal. Like it can still be really distressing, obviously, but um, even if you're doing, you know, we all have that one friend who's like, oh no, I did really badly. I got 90% in my test. Like I've definitely been that friend. Mm. Um, and it's not, I yeah, <laughs> I, know, I do too. And I'm one of them. Um, yeah, it's like, it's not really about how you're doing. It's that you're still not good enough. You know, yeah. even if you do really well, it's still not good enough. Mm. And yeah, I mean, I, I reckon going going to a selective school and or maybe just the way the HSE is structured is like that. Maybe I think that probably had a really huge impact in in the development of my anxiety. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's that's really sad to hear. And, <laughs> and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are sort of in the same boat mm. as well. Like right now, yeah. you know, HSC time. Uh, for those of you overseas, that's our end of year uh, exams, which is very stressful. Yeah, I mean, there was that really sad story of the kid who crashed his car into something recently, and I can't remember whether he died, but because he didn't, he thought he was going to fail, and I was just like, no. Because <laughs> yeah, they don't tell you in school that there's other paths to take you know you don't have to go to uni you exactly. don't have to study anything you exactly can, you can go do a trade you can go work at a shop you can do exactly all sorts of things. and i think yeah i think for me that was one of the reasons finishing school was actually such a <laughs> traumatic seems like a strong word but I, but it was it was a traumatic experience i didn't feel ready mm. i didn't know what i was going to do there was simultaneously no choice and too much choice you know yeah no one had laid it out. Yeah. Well, I guess that's something for the um, the school system to, to take <laughs> Hope on. Hope you're listening, board of studies. Yeah, check this out. <laughs> Give us a like. I know. have many opinions. Like us on Facebook, board of studies. <laughs> Come on. All right. So, how are you dealing with your disorders now, and how is it different to when you first started managing it? Um. It's one of the one of the good things about having been through it a couple of times is like I was saying, if you're an anxious person, you want to be prepared. You want to know how it's going to go. Mm. That first time you have no idea. But every second time it's like, oh, well, I've been through this. I got through it. It sucks. It feels really crappy, but it is going to end. And also, you know, you build up those coping mechanisms and um, coping strategies and ways of, you know, managing your thoughts and feelings and behaviors. Um, I wouldn't say that (laughs) it's gone away completely. I don't think it ever will. Um, Actually, just last weekend, it was really funny. I was like, oh, I'm about to do a podcast about how I deal with my mental health. And actually, I've had a really crappy weekend. Um, I just had an assignment that I just couldn't do. And Mm. I felt awful. I was like, why can't I do it? It's really easy. I've done this a hundred times before, you know, it's like, and I just, no motivation. And I felt awful and I was really grumpy until I got it in. (laughs) So Mm. um, kudos to my partner for putting up with me. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) it's not, you know, it's not something that's gone away. It's not. I'm not better, quote unquote, but um, in terms of a cure, but I am better in terms of 
I have better coping mechanisms. I can sort of, I can function through that period now, maybe not optimally, mm-hmm. but you know, the first time, even the second time I just, I was knocked out completely. I couldn't, you know, the first time school had ended, I wasn't doing anything. I was just like staying at home playing video games <laughs> and trying not to think about it. And the second time I had to drop half my subjects at uni, you know, I was only going in for like two hours a week. Um, yeah, i just basically wasn't doing anything, but this third time it was hard, but I didn't drop any subjects. I kept getting through uni, you know, I, I was able to continue functioning through, through that sort of freak out through that really awful, intensely anxious period where, you know, a big change was happening. So yeah, it's, just knowing that you can get through it, that's definitely I am I am better in that sense. I'm much better equipped yeah. to deal with it when it happens. And you know, change is really scary and I think change is always gonna be really hard for me. Yeah. But yeah, I have I have ways of dealing now. What's, and it's okay to feel crappy. What sort of ways do you do you deal with it? Well, I mean, the first thing I do is always booking with a psychologist um and just talk to someone because or well actually I should say the first thing I do is talk to my partner or my family or you know my my cousin my best friend Mm. um we we look at the world in very similar ways so it's really really good to bounce things off him and I can be like oh you know do you ever feel like this yeah I totally feel like that it's like okay um and then yeah if it's if it's starting to impact my ability to, you know, get my uni work done and my work work done and everything. I'll, I'll go see someone, preferably someone who specializes in kind of the area that, or has dealt with the area that I've been struggling with. Mm. Um, so, you know, the first time it was someone who works a lot with school aged children. The second time it was someone who works a lot with young adults who are sort of facing, (laughs) Um, not knowing what they want to do with their life. And this most recent time, um, someone who deals with LGBT issues because I think I'm bi. Hi, world. Um, Yeah, so finding someone who not only, like, is a trained psychologist but deals in that area that you're looking looking at. Um, And also just like letting things letting things go you know like assignments I hand them in late now and I don't care it's like if that's what I have to do to get through it's fine you know um or or asking for extensions I'm not scared about asking for extensions anymore when I need them I'm not worried that my lecturer's gonna be like view me as lazy or or whatever so yeah just talking to people I guess is the overarching theme for that approaching friends and family approaching professionals and approaching the people who you work with to let them know to give you some extra consideration because you know you're sick you need it Mm, absolutely well that's that's really important to put out there as well to to use what's around you and and you know just don't don't be afraid to do what you need to do for yourself Exactly. Yeah. So 
I guess I wanted to ask because you you brought this up when when I first met you in person. Um, you know your sexuality. How how does that play into anxiety and depression, <laughs> if at all? Um, the main way is doubting myself. The way that anxiety makes me look back at say my teenagehood and go, Oh no, but you're only into boys then. Like you can't be, you can't be by now. Um, mm. and just for the record, I'm not like super comfortable with any label, but if I had to choose one, that would be it. Um, and, and the reluctance to assert myself in a community that I knew would be good for me, that I knew that I would fit into, because I didn't feel, I didn't feel queer enough. I didn't feel like I belonged. Um, I felt like, yeah, everyone was just going to be like, oh, no, you're not, you know, you're not this, you're not that, go away. Like, which has not been my experience at all. But it was really, really, really hard to make that space for myself within myself and within my community. Mm. So, yeah. Um I, in terms of more recent political events, um, the postal survey has really been getting me down because um, it's 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 really been impacting the mental health of the queer community, not just you know not just the people who are already <laughs> um, living with mental illness. Um, you know, it's it's sort of exacerbating that. But people who usually don't are now dealing with this really stressful situation. Um, and, yeah, everyone's every, – there's a much, much higher incidence of queer people seeking psychologists, so, like, seeking professional help and talking to their GPs about mental health um, because of this, because of the current political climate. So, um, yeah, <laughs> it – for me, I guess it hasn't super strongly interacted with my sexuality. Actually, the first time I actually contemplated it was when I was really depressed. Mm. So I actually wrote it off when I got better. I was just like, oh, it's just you feeling feeling depressed and like wishing your life was different. Mm. Um, but then it, it, it kept coming back. So, yeah, I, sometimes I think mental illness can can sort of strip you down to that that questioning yourself yeah and those rawest feelings and sometimes that's a good thing you Mm. know it can peel back sort of the layers of life that may be a bit superficial and get you back in touch with your core values so i think (laughs) in that way it was actually really helpful um yeah but more recently it's been definitely the interaction with the sort of socio-political climate's been very stressful not just for me but for everyone (laughs) Mm, I guess that opens up a whole other can of worms. Yeah, I mean, I could talk for hours about that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's another podcast. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm sure other people have covered it ad nauseum. Yeah, totally. Um, so would you do anything differently to what you have done and what would you do differently, if anything? Oh, that's always such a hard question because on one hand, yes, because I don't want to feel like that when I think back to little 17-year-old me facing that for the first time. I just want to, like, protect her from all of it. Mm. But at the same time, you know, it has made me who I am today. That's so cliche. 
but you know I think I'm a more empathetic person because of it I think I was always quite empathetic but I to more people now I can sort of extend that to other people so no I guess I wouldn't I wouldn't do anything differently Mm. no that's good to know it's like (laughs) you're pretty sure of of yourself now yeah uh, it's it's a funny feeling actually Mm. feeling grounded and certain it's I don't think I've had it for a long time we should enjoy it (laughs) I will (laughs) before uni ends I'm thrown into the ringer again Mm. So what advice would you give to someone uh, with the same or similar diagnosis who might be listening to this? Maybe they're going through a difficult time right now. It ends, gets better. And again, that's really cliche, but the only thing that doesn't change in life is change. And Mm. if you're struggling with a big change or even a little change, you know, um, you go to get through it. It's okay to feel scared and it's okay to feel overwhelmed. But, you know, if it is your first time, you don't have the the mechanisms to deal with it. That's okay too, you know, Mm. but you will get through it. And next time, if there is a next time, it won't, it won't be as bad. Mm. That's very reassuring (laughs) words. Thank you. I'm sure a lot of people out there will appreciate hearing that from you. I mean, don't get me wrong. It really sucks, but <laughs> I'm here. I'm still here. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is a very difficult thing to get through, but it's, it's not impossible. And yeah. And again, like even last weekend, I was feeling really crappy. And here, two days later, I am yeah. feeling fine talking well, on a podcast about it. So. Well done. <laughs> well done. So is there anything you wish someone had told you in, in your most difficult times? just the same thing you'll get through it it's okay you know this isn't the end of the world you're not you know especially that first time you know school ending does not equal the end of everything and you're allowed to be scared but it's okay it really is okay Mm. okay good words again so (laughs) i guess that brings us to the listener questions so Lately, Sydney hasn't been doing too well with the listener questions. It's, it's been a bit slack of Sydney. We've <laughs> had a few more overseas questions and interstate. But today, Sydney's picked up their game. Well done to you, Sydney. <laughs> We've got three today for you from Sydney. So the first one is from my mate, Taz. So he's Hi, Taz. very excited about getting a shout out because <laughs> we had a mate who was on FBI radio. Ooh. And he he really wanted a shout out, even though he didn't listen to his show. <laughs> so he didn't deserve a shout out, but he deserves one now. So Well, shout out to Taz, hey, Taz. for asking the first question today. Yeah, good job, Thank Taz. you, person who I've never met. So he wants to know, how did others feel when you told them that you were going through depression and anxiety? <laughs> um, like I said before, generally very understanding um i think the thing was that i didn't tell them until after the worst was it worst of it was over mm. not because i wanted to and and didn't but because i actually didn't want to talk to anyone like 
it was easier to not talk to people, mm. um, you know, which is <laughs> obviously is a bit con- contradictory to what I said before about, you know, talking to people and approaching people. Um, you know, my closest friends, my closest family, they knew. But in terms of telling other people, um, I generally didn't tell them until after the worst of it was over. Mm. Um, and then again, mostly it was positive reactions. I had a couple of people be like, oh, why didn't you tell me? I would have done something. And I was like, oh, that's exactly why I didn't tell you. Like, I didn't want to be fussed over. I didn't want someone to make a big deal out of it. Mm. You know, um, I think sometimes for people who don't, even people who, who have been through mental illnesses, there's this tendency to sort of start coddling, um, which obviously comes from a place of love and is good, but it's for me, and I, I only speak for me, um, it's not actually always appreciated. I don't want people fussing over me when I'm feeling that bad. You know, some, it's nice to be acknowledged, but then sometimes it's just nice to be left alone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I definitely had people who were like, why didn't you tell me I would have done something, you know? And it's like, oh, well, thank you, but no thanks. Yeah, um, I, I guess it's similar to Tara's experience where she said that um, she didn't want people to treat her differently yeah. because of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's also, it's quite a personal thing, mm. you know, like <laughs> you wouldn't go up to someone with with cancer and be like, let me help, you know, what can I do? Da, 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 da. I mean, some people would, but you know, like the cancer's not going to go away <laughs> just from, you know, you being there and hovering over them and mm. telling them how wonderful they are and stuff. It's not, it's the same. It doesn't, it doesn't help. What helps is just sort of a gentle, non-invasive presence. You know, I'm here if you need to talk or, you know, let me bring you dinner someday or like little, little, like little small gestures of, of caring or like, you know, the text that I get from my man, texts I get from my nan are just like, yeah, thinking of you, you know, just, Mm. just little things. Mm. I've always found much more helpful than anyone being like, let me fix it. Mm. You know? All right. Well, I hope people take note from that. (laughs) All right. So the next question is from a friend of yours. Yes. Called Zach. Hi, Zach. So he wants to know what things actually help you deal with anxiety and depression. We've already discussed quite a lot of them, but any others yeah. you can think of? Um, I mean, it's it's really, for me, I experience them together and I experience them separately. Hmm. So, you know, just this past weekend, it was very much a depression type thing. No motivation, wasn't enjoying anything, you know, um when I'm feeling like that, it's, it's nice to just sometimes sit outside, feel the sunshine, you know, watch the birds, feel, feel invested in life, I guess. Um, or, you know, I snuggle up with my partner and we watch cutesy TV show or something, um, or just trash TV, (laughs) you know, um, when I'm feeling more anxious, it's less like I have to reconnect with the world and more like I have to, disconnect from the world um and sort of keep my brain busy because um I know people say you know you shouldn't sort of distract yourself from your anxiety or from your you know how you're feeling like coping mechanisms which avoid the problem 
are bad, but um, I think that's only when they're done in excess. Like, because for me, sometimes when my anxiety is going, it's just, it spirals and spirals and spirals and spirals. And actually, you know, sitting there and thinking about it, like trying to do mindfulness or meditation or whatever, just doesn't help mm. because I can't shut my brain down. Um, I find mindfulness and meditation really helpful when I'm not in that state. Mm. If I'm just like a little bit stressed about something, it's really, really helpful. But if I'm in that hyper aroused state, I can't, like, I can't shut it down. So it's actually better to distract myself. So I'll usually like put on a movie and, or a TV show and play a video game at the same time. So I've got sort of all parts of my brain are busy doing something else. Mm. Um, and I just write it out. Okay. Good, good answer. <laughs> um, so another question we've got is, uh, it's more of a discussion point yeah. uh, from anonymous from Sydney. First anonymous question. That's exciting. So you know who you are, you know who you are. So the question says, well, the point of discussion says I'm poor as heck. So how do you know you're depressed without getting a diagnosis? I guess, <laughs> I mean, do you want to start on, on that? Cause I've got a lot to say. About <laughs> yeah. that. Um, uh, for me, it was a messy process. You know, no one just was like, yep, this is a thing that you have. Um, it's still to this day, sometimes when I get authority script filled out by the doctor and they say, yes, this is for major depression. I'm like, what? Um, I mean, self-diagnosing is incredibly controversial, um, but I think it can be helpful in terms of like identifying your symptoms um, and then taking them to a professional um, and saying, look, I've read about this thing. I feel like I might have it. I need a second opinion, basically. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a messy process for me in terms of getting a, a diagnosis without going to a health professional. You can't. It's impossible. Mm. But, um, you know, if you recognize the symptoms within yourself, seeking seeking a second opinion, even just from a GP. And there are, you know, there are GPs who will bulk, bulk bill. Um, if you're a full-time student at Macquarie Uni, you can get a free GP consultation. Um, there are some really good people who deal with mental health. You can get a long appointment. They'll just talk with you. Um, yeah, I guess I do agree with you. It's, it's important to maybe read into the signs and mm. recognize that, but long story short, you can't really know you have depression without getting a proper diagnosis because, you know, these people are trained to do that. Yeah. And I think if you, if you take shortcuts with it, if you self-diagnose, you might not fully pick up a lot of things that, that might reveal that you're, you might be dealing with something else mm. as well or something different than what you thought. So I think the best way is to go see a professional and, yeah, for sure. If you're if you're wondering, if you're worried about it, go talk to someone. Um, and the GP is the best place to start yeah. because they can refer you on to people who specialists that they know. Um, it is, like I said before, not all like in my experience, not all GPs are um, 
down with the mental health process or symptoms or, you know, all of that. Um, So it is sometimes good to talk to people you know who've seen GPs for mental health issues and find out who's actually good, who will help. Um, Yeah, like I said, there's, there's a couple at the Macquarie Uni GP clinic who... Um, who are really, really good with mental health, who I've talked to, um, who've been really, really helpful. So, yeah, I think it is important to see someone who um, can, who is trained to deal with mental health um, because they can send you on to someone. If if that's what you need, they can send you on to someone, maybe write your referral for a psychologist or set up a mental health care plan. Yeah. Something like that. Because I, I, th- I think people don't treat mental health the same as, you know, other physical health. You know, if, oh, you, have a, sure. if you have a broken arm, you're not going to just Google it and, <laughs> and fix it yourself. Um, so it shouldn't be the same for mental health. No. You, you should get professional help. Yeah. So that's, that's a good discussion <laughs> point to have. I'm sure there's much more that can be said by people yeah. who are smarter than me on that particular point (laughs) yeah but i think we we covered that pretty well so uh, what do you think you're most proud of to have accomplished so far um i think i mean getting through this degree um it was supposed to take three years it's going to take four and a half that's okay (laughs) you know um and more recently, <laughs> it's, it's probably a bit, maybe a small achievement, but I'm proud of it. Um, I really want to do go into science communication. And mm. um, recently I've had a couple of science articles published in uh, the student publication at Macquarie Uni Grape Shop. So um, just having them out there and being being published is has been really good and sort of helped me start building a portfolio, I guess. Um, and the other thing is, um, I've found a community, Mm. um, in, in the queer community at Macquarie Uni and it was really hard to insert myself into that and to build up the courage to actually go there and start talking to people. Um, and honestly having that community has been one of the biggest benefits for my mental health, Mm. um, this year. I, you know, um, even when, even when I'm feeling, not so great just being able to go there and be with people who are like me, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah. So finding that, you know, um, obviously, you know, they were very welcoming, but it was, I did have to put a really big effort into actually making that space in that community for myself Mm. and sort of accepting myself as part of that. So yeah. I'm really proud of having done that. It's good that you found your place. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what do you hope for the future? Oh boy. Well, um, like I said, I really want to go into science communication. So I'd really love to get a job. I don't know, at the ABC. (laughs) I'd love to make my own science podcast. Mm. Um, Yeah. I just think it's really, really important. I feel a sort of like ethical responsibility to, to educate people. Um, and also I'm just really passionate about it. So I'd, I'd love to do something like that. 
sort of in a shorter term sense, I want to get a dog. Okay. <laughs> I really want a dog. Who doesn't? <laughs> right? Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. I guess it's time for you to open up the golden Chinese question box again and see what you get. I'll shake it. Yeah. Ah! What was your dream job when you were a kid? Everyone's got that so far. <laughs> I should get rid of that one, maybe. That's such a good one, though. I kind of yeah, wanted to answer this one. All right. What is it? Um, so... I wanted to be two things at various stages in my childhood. Um, one of them was an animal carer or a vet. Mm. And the other one was an author. Um, Interesting. And I've sort of done both. Really? Not in the sense that I've become a vet or an author, but I've gone into science and I want to go into science communication. So I'm writing about science, which is sort of like being a vet. Mm. Um, yeah, I always wanted to do something with animals, so that's good. I sort of, sort of achieved that one yeah. in a weird roundabout way. Yeah, well done, <laughs> thank you. Okay, so I guess on this podcast we also like to promote feeling good, and one of the ways I like to do that is to ask everyone what their ultimate feel-good song is. So, what's yours, Ursula? Um, mine is "Some Nights" by Fun. Okay, some nights by fun. So, because you and I are very busy people, we, <laughs> we don't have time to listen to the whole song right now. So, we're going to listen to one second of it. Also, because I'm very paranoid about uh, copyright, so I don't want to get sued. <laughs> so, we are going to listen to one second. You guys won't hear it, but I do encourage you guys to go check it out. It's Ursula's ultimate feel-good song. And, um, yeah, let's hear a second of it. Well, what can I say after that? That's, you know, my life has changed yep. forever. It's a pretty, it's actually, it's, it's, it's kind of a bittersweet song, but I don't know. I always feel better when I hear it. So yeah, it's, it's cathartic. It's a, yeah. A lot of people know that song. It's, <laughs> it's out there. It's a good song. It's, it's, it's a good feel good song. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that. And if you haven't heard it, go check it out. Please do. All right. Well, we're nearly at the end. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> um, so, what's one final thing you would want people listening to take away from this? One last message from you. It's okay. It's okay to feel crappy and okay to be scared of change, and it's you know it's okay to have your feelings about things. And it's even okay to doubt yourself and, you know, not know where they've come from. I spent a lot of time doing that. Mm. But you'll get through it. The change is change is a part of life and it can suck. But it, something good has always come from it for me as well. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I, I think this is one of the times in my life when I've felt the most sure about myself and... I've recently been through a lot of change, so it's okay and you'll get through it. Mm. Well, that's, a, that's a lovely message. Thank you so much. <laughs> and that brings us to the end. So thank you very much for sitting down with me and, and chatting to me. Thank and you for coming. <laughs> yeah, thank you for opening up and I'm sure the listeners will, will get a lot from, from hearing us talk. I hope so. Yeah. So thank you very much. Thank you. 
All right. Well, that's, that's it from us. Um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you are listening to this and you would like to be a guest, please contact me uh, through my Facebook page, SoundCloud, or if I know you, know you personally, however way you can. Uh, maybe someone's got my phone number out there. Who knows? <laughs> but don't, don't spread it around. Thanks. Um, so give us a like and subscribe on Facebook, SoundCloud, Podbean, and the iTunes podcast app now just to make it a bit easier for you guys to access. That's all I got. I downloaded mine on iTunes. Hey? I downloaded mine on I downloaded on the podcast app. Okay. It's very good. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's everything. Thanks for listening as always. Take care.